I'm Fiona Banner, aka The Vanity Press, and this is The Squirrel's Heartbeat, a series of conversations reflecting on the environment, art and activism. I'm here with Joanna Gibbons, landscape architect, lover of trees, tree expert, Tai Chiist, Tai Triist, and author of a very wonderful book on urban trees. And Joanna, I believe you're responsible for the Dalston Curve Garden also. So thank you for that. Something came into my head this morning possibly because here we are on a sort of intersection between art and ecology and I know that you are a great lover and a specialist of trees. This thing just came into my mind which was (laughs) many years ago. My dad said to me he'd been to a place where they had a lot of Henry Moore sculptures Mm -hmm. in the garden and I said what did you think? Did you like them? And he said they made me realise how beautiful the trees are. <laughs> you can't As, outdo nature. You know, I, yeah, I did actually then go on to be, become a sculptor, but it's always stayed with me. And yeah, I wanted to begin with just asking you about trees, but trees specifically in the urban environment mm. as part of urban ecology and how how you feel they work and what they actually are doing. Mm. I mean, I've lived in Islington all my life, so some of the trees there I've known for 60 years now. Wow. That's half their lifetime. I maybe have another 20, they maybe have another 300. I think first and foremost, I relate my identity to those trees. You know, Mm. I actually practice early in the morning Tai Chi in front of a tree, and as it roots down into the ground and reaches to the heaven, I'm trying to do the same thing. You know, they are solid, they are organic, and they're sort of totally heroic. You know, you and I will remember the day after the 1987 storm, 15 million trees came down. It was like Armageddon in London. And you suddenly realised at that moment then what the city would be like without those trees. If all the trees were just ripped out, the city would not be a place that you could live in. You know, we're talking about tons of biomass in the sky that is long-lived, that is completely moderating our climate in this ecology that we have made ourselves. We've made the city. To me, the tree is something which we are deeply spiritually connected with and have been over millennia. And we've brought them into the city quite consciously Sometimes we've left them to grow by themselves, like here in Bethnal Green Nature Reserve, and they've just done it themselves. Together, the canopy of the trees in London constitute 20% of the surface area of the city. So it is this overall embrace that they give us, as well as silently doing lots of things for free, you know, silently holding our soils open, silently locking up carbon, silently intercepting rainfall in extreme events, silently providing masses of biodiversity and quietly looking stunning as well. (laughs) So it is the complexity, I think. I do believe that human beings, our success is adaptability and it is because we actually enjoy complexities even though we're constantly seeming to try to simplify things. 
can you talk about soil? Because mm. I think I'm not alone in knowing virtually nothing about it. I mean, I think as a landscape architect, fundamentally we don't see landscape as the bit between buildings. We see it as underlying everything. Everything comes from the soil. The soil is the ultimate resource on which we rely. And it's made up of the bedrock and then layers of subsoils that come up under that. And then there's this beautiful skin on the top, which is the topsoil, which is made of all the rotted material, thanks to the mycelium and all the networks of microbes in the soil that create this very rich topsoil which then feeds the roots of the trees. The largest organism on this earth is mycelium. They call it the wood wide web. It is an extraordinary network of communication from tree to tree throughout the whole of the soil system. They're so sophisticated so that one tree can actually message another and pass nutrients through it. Now that relies on the soil to be healthy. This is why ancient woodlands are so, they're irreplaceable because yeah. that resource has been left for that amount of time. Yeah. So nothing grows unless the soil is right. So all our work, if we do good work, is below ground. There's any number of soil profiles and in a place like London, most of it will be anthropogenic. So at mm -hmm. some point mm -hmm. in time, something's happened, like here. This mm -hmm. is a soil which is being created over rubble, over a church. Mm -hmm. It's a slow, gentle process. And the irony is in some of these city places, the brownfield sites, as they're called, because that's been left like it's nothing, it's actually got more value because yeah. it's, it's a different ecology to an ancient woodland, yeah. obviously, yeah. but it's still an ecology. Mm. And so suddenly we find ourselves in some work saving the ruderal vegetation like it's botanically of really great significance. Mm. Mm. That ruderal vegetation was just the weeds mm. of the bombsite before. Mm. And now it becomes special because there's so much redevelopment mm. and intensification in the city. What was common suddenly becomes precious. But there is a basic science of soils which needs to be understood better. It should be taught in school. It's the most fundamental yeah. thing. Without the soil, we have no harvest. I really love that term, the wood wide web, mm. that it is actually a communication mm. system. I think we've forgotten that about mm. nature because obviously we've fallen in love with technology. Mm. I've often wondered what goes on under the pavement. Of course, mm. there's often an exciting moment when the paving stones rupture mm. and the roots break through. Mm. But I'm not actually sure really what's going mm. on under there amongst the sort of various other things, mm. pipeworks and sewage well, and it's a electrical bump, cables. Well, it's a bum fight and actually the tree will always win until someone comes along with a piece of mechanical plant and removes the tree. Outside Bethnal Green was a beautiful big poplar. I stood under that poplar, yeah. we looked at exactly what you've just talked about, that gentle heave in the paving, which technically is the roots trying to find oxygen. 
the soils are all compacted. We don't compact by hand, we compact with machines. Right. So the oxygen is driven out of the subsoil. So the roots need to have gases exchanged. So the top surface of any root plate is kind of like this beautiful, massive mat just under the surface of the soil of fibrous roots, tiny little roots, not big ones. Those ones are the anchor roots which will hold the stability. But the ones that are going to give the plant the oxygen it needs to grow in the top surface. That's exactly where we lay our paving. We are, as a species, at this moment in time, seemingly existentially bothered by things that aren't defined. Yes. And in London, there used to be lots of undefined spaces, lots mm. of in-between spaces. Mm. It was normal in this part of mm. London because mm. people didn't want to be here or didn't want to build here. Yeah. It wasn't of value. Mm. And actually, those spaces have just been sucked out of the environment. Yeah. And yeah. there is a real sense of disquiet around anything that doesn't have an established semantic around mm. it or is I not I think that's absolutely known. right. And I think we get criticised and I get criticised for being anti-design because when we finish if it looks like it was always there then job done and anyway yeah. it's never finished. Do you feel like there's some shift towards a deeper understanding for the need for ecology in the city or more of an acknowledgement of mm. the ecology in the city and the value maybe even of, of spaces like this which are very much natural non-horticulturalized mm. nature mm. spaces so if you think about city life cities as a thing an organism in the world are growing faster than anything else then so too can the urban forest you could say if it's given a place so this is point two of a hectare working so hard yeah and it's a different sort of thing from Hyde Park, and that's fine. There's lots of different landscapes. But this one is very rich, and it's very layered. One thing that I really enjoy about this space is the interventions that are created by its citizens. So, for instance, the foxes make some incredible holes and mounds and installations, if you will. And there's a lot of things that go on in this space that are not invited. Mm. It feels more fragile to me, actually, mm. here. So there's maybe a little bit more empathy in terms of how things change, how things grow mm. and how things die. And there's a very keen sense of the momentary. You know, I noticed when I was trying to make work here that one of the most interesting things about my installations was that they would get destroyed really quickly, mm. you know, by the foxes, for instance. Mm. They love to chew up a publication overnight and mm. <laughs> drag it around. And that was actually the most interesting thing. Mm. I ne then I ended up putting nature cams in and looking at them, mauling these scroll-like publications mm. that I've made. And it feels like an open invitation mm. that is not particularly prescribed. Maybe here we feel like we are more part of it. In other words, generally, the human race sees himself as top of the pyramid in a very egocentric way. Mm. Whereas what we need to do rapidly in the next 10 years, and right now, feel like we are part of the ecosystem. Mm. And so, 
your publications are getting eaten by a fox. You've placed something there and he's reacted to it mm. and then you react to that and suddenly there's something going on that wouldn't go on if that publication had gone into the Whitechapel Art Gallery. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing because it causes you to think your relationship with his movements and you know what he leaves behind. What to you are the politics around the government's commitment to plant however many <laughs> million, billion well, trees? The establishment time for a new woodland is no less than 25 years. Have you got the commitment for that? Because yeah. the capital cost of one transplant is maybe 30p, 15p. The political environment is not conducive to long-term caretaking. Unless you are partnered with people who are really going to deliver and steward, acts as stewards yeah. for those woodlands or yeah. those trees and understand their needs. I mean, if you take any woodland, there's always some management. There's no landscape left on this earth that isn't affected by man. There's no wilderness. There's nothing that's entirely natural. That's why this period in geological times is called the Anthropocene, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we have impacted on everything. Mm -hmm. And there is still denial about that. Art has become so rarefied and so married to the institution mm. that it's become protected from what's around. Though the institution's been a sort of facilitator or agency to some extent, it's mm. also enabled art or allowed art and artists to forget about the responsibility of art mm, mm. and how we actually interact with the most vulnerable dimensions of ourselves mm, and mm. our planet. There's been a lot of talk recently about decolonization mm -hmm. of curricula, of selection processes, and also what I've heard you talking about is a sort of decolonization of nature as mm. well, that mm. we are actually not the lords of it. In fact, by overpowering mm. it, mm. by letting ourselves sail so willingly and obliviously or even mm. congratulating ourselves as we sail into the Anthropocene mm. era, we have actually now overwhelmed it mm. and we need to accept our vulnerability and start mm. pulling back and mm. realizing the power mm. of nature is something we mm. need to respect. The fact is that our survival is dependent on finding a new way to sit more comfortably with the preciousness of what's around us. There's so many of us, say in London, 8.6 million small moves mm. amounts to something quite significant you know if we're talking about tree planting there are about 8.6 million trees in London mm. it's kind of quite poetic it happens at the same wow, <laughs> moment to be about one. the same number I mean it could be that Covid is the most pertinent calling card from nature mm. to say hey listen up you mm. are vulnerable mm. it is something that has affected everybody. Covid is also quite specific because it does above all affect the lungs. There's, as you say, this very fundamental thing about 
breathing being compromised. And going back to where we started and the trees, the trees lock in carbon yeah. and they give out oxygen. Yeah. They're locking carbon into the soil. 75% yeah. of what trees lock in carbon is locked into the soil. Yeah. They take it okay. down, stick it in the ground. Yeah. There it lies. In their breathing, in their transpiration that they do as they open up their leaves, every cell on every leaf, is also cooling our cities. And I think it's um, poetic, but it's also natural that by mucking up these very delicate relationships that we have with the animal kingdom, which set this whole thing off, then comes round and hits our fundamental breathing. I was involved in a an action with Greenpeace and I made a big full stop in the shape of the full stop from the font's clang. It is around the slipperiness of language and how things are said but then don't happen mm. and the need actually to go back to breathing, to take a breath mm. and think anew and pause and I then think continue. take a breath and put your hands in the soil. Yeah, good. A great place to end. <laughs>